0: to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Before we finish chapter 11 today, we're going to cover the last nine verses of Hebrews 11. And it's an amazing chapter, amazing chapter. As you can see, we've been, we've been taking it for six, nine, ten weeks, ten weeks to get through one chapter in the Bible. And we've been taking in these little chunks of, of Verses, because the Lord has so, so much depth in each of these people that he calls out, but then it all culminates here with the last nine verses today. So with that, I'm gonna open us up in prayer and we'll, we'll dive right in. Lord, we thank you so much for Hebrews 11, God, the hall of faith. What an amazing chapter that we too can press on and have deliverance by faith and faith alone. We thank you, for your word. God, we thank you for preserving it for us. God, teach us everything as we close chapter 11 today as 1 John 2:27 declares, God, we stand on that verse and we petition you as our anointing to teach us everything out of your word. We love you, Lord, and we are looking for you today to guide us and to lead us in all truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we started out with Hebrews 1, or 11, verse 1. What is faith? And then through faith, the worlds were framed. we verses 2 through 3. The mark of faith, we talked about Abel and Enoch in verses 4 and 5. Faith is pleasing. We looked at Noah in verses 6 and 7. By faith, you're called with Abraham in verses 8 through 10. Persuaded by faith with Sarah to press on in 11 through 13. And then we did a deep dive study on our new city, our forever home with him in verses 14 through 16, then esteeming Christ above all, so esteeming the reproach of Christ, the correction of Christ more than the treasures of Egypt in verses 17 through 26, and then last week we covered five verses 27 through 31 about the deliverance by faith. We looked at Moses, Joshua's army, Rahab. And then today, the Lord titled the message, The World is Not Worthy, because the world is not worthy of you. And God talks about how the world was not worthy of all these people, and he's going to apply it to you to close out chapter 11 today. So what I thought we'd do is just read through. Let's just read through and close out the chapter, and then we'll go by and and break down these last few verses. So starting back in verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Remember, he wanted to be resurrected, not in Egypt, but in Israel. And by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. And by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember, Moses was really tempted to have everything in Egypt to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, basically to be the heir to the throne of Egypt, but he chose not to, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them, the destroying angel. Verse 29 here, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assained to do were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Now remember Rahab is... In Jesus' genealogy. We looked at her in detail last time. Okay, then we're picking up today here in verse 32. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And they wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Okay, that's, that's, that's a way to, to end the chapter here. What, a, what an amazing set of verses. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, these people that endured so much temptation in their life. And at any moment, they could have said, that's enough, I'll just deny the faith. And they didn't, they held on. What, a, what an encouragement for you and I. Okay, so let's go through these one by one here. Verse 32 and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Now, how many of you read that and go, who in the world is Jephthah? And I've never heard of that guy. Well, he's in Judges. We'll look at him in a minute. But faith comes with many trials and will be tested. One of the verses that you need to cling on to for your life is John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken unto you, says Jesus, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, you and I are promised tribulations and trials and difficulties in our life. So do not be surprised when they come. But when you're in Jesus, be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. And the world is not worthy of you. And we're going to, that's one of my favorite parts of this whole section of scripture. So I'm, I'm excited to get there. But when you experience tribulations, notice it's a little T. It's not the tribulation with the capital T. You and I are not appointed to wrath according to 2 Thessalonians. And Revelation 6 on is the wrath of the Lamb. So you're not appointed to that. But you will be appointed to the enemy and the world attacking you and I with trials and tribulations, but those should build your faith and lead to even more faith. That's what should come out of those. If you experience those and you walk through them with the Lord, you will come out on the other side stronger and fit for war further down the road. So they build you up. It's, it's something for you to look back on and remember what the Lord brought you through, you and your family. And that you know, no matter what happens in the future, he will deliver you again. And that's why the Red Sea moment was so pivotal to the Israelites. They, they hung on to that for generations and would tell stories and remember, and God constantly through Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers would constantly say, remember what I did for you in delivering you out of the Red Sea. So those that, those that run away from the faith in trials and tribulations, They are unfortunately casualties of war, and it's tragic. You know, how many times have you heard someone who's in the midst of something difficult and says, a loving God would not let me go through this, or a loving God would not do this, or a loving God would not let so-and-so pass away, or this, befall this, this person or friend. And it starts to plant seeds of doubt, and then they let those seeds of doubt grow into bitterness against the Lord, and they turn away from him. And But that's what the enemy does, right? He came to steal, kill, and destroy. So what, can he, what does he have to do first? It's an order. He has to steal from you your faith and hope. Then he can kill anything that's left in you and ultimately leads to destruction. So if he can steal it first by planting those seeds of doubt, then he wins But in this verse, the Lord uses four judges, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, one king, David, and one prophet, Samuel. So he's got six people from the Old Testament here. So let's look at Gideon. Gideon was raised up to deliver God's people with 300 men. And and you all saw the, the secular reenactment of that in the movie 300, right, with the Spartans and all of that. They they get these ideas from the Bible, and I think that war actually did happen, but they were encouraged by probably from Gideon's story with three hundred men. But it's all in Judges seven. So Judges seven, look at five, six, and seven here. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. So remember when it starts out. Gideon has, has an army, and it gets whittled down little by little. And then the final step is, okay, take who's ever left, go down to the river. Those that pick up water in their hand, they bow, they bow down, they pick up water in their hand, but they're looking straight ahead, and they drink. Separate from those that bend down and put their head to the water and lap it up with their tongue like a dog. Separate those two groups of people. And the number of them that lapped putting their hand to their mouth were 300 men, but all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So basically those that did not bow to the world, God is using as the warriors. So remember the principle there. If you bow, those that bow down, to take the water in their hand. The water is the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They're taking that water, but they're looking straight ahead as they consume it. Their eyes are up looking towards the enemy. The others get down and they bend their head down. They're basically, the semblance here is they're bowing to the world. They're not ready to look ahead and to fight the enemy on the horizon. And so that's why God's separated those. But the remembrance of this deliverance through Gideon, he's also named Jerubbabel in Judges. So don't let that name confuse you in the Bible. But throughout the Bible, God reminds the children of Israel of this in 1 Samuel 12, Psalms 83, 11, Isaiah 9:4, and Isaiah 10, verse 26. So Gideon's deliverance was, was something great that they held on to for a lot of years. Okay, the next person, Barak. Barak was commissioned by the prophetess Deborah in Judges 4. Barak was to lead Israel against Jabin, who was aligned with Caesarea. So Caesarea flees to the tent of Jal, the wife of Heber the Kenite, and asks to be hidden. So remember, the war's breaking out. Caesarea flees. He goes to this tent of, this, of the wife of Heber the Kenite, because they had an alliance, And basically says, hey, will you please hide me? Give me something to drink. Hide me. Cover me up. Don't let them come and find me. Don't let Brock come and find me. And Gile then gives him milk to drink, covers with him a blanket. And then remember, she proceeds to drive that stake, that tent stake, through his temple while he's under the blanket. And he basically dies right there. And Brock shows up and she says, hey, the guy you're looking for is right here hidden in this blanket. So somehow she knew he was an enemy of God. Somehow she knew, but but see, running from God never works. And there was a judgment on him, and he was trying to hide from God's judgment, and there is nowhere to hide from that. What you've got to do instead, because he is so gracious, is turn to him and fall on your face and repent. That's what he should have done. That's what Caesarea should have done. The Lord would have had mercy on him, but instead he tries to run and hide. And that's, you, there's nowhere to run. But when you stand boldly with the Lord through trials, he'll deliver you also out of those. Okay, the next person here, Samson. Samson's birth was pronounced by Jesus to his parents in Judges 13. So if you don't know this story, go read the whole chapter. But Samson's parents are promised a son by the angel of the Lord and we know it's Jesus because they have a sacrifice out there, and this fire comes down from heaven, and He accepts the sacrifice. If it wasn't Jesus, then it was just an angel. He would have said, "No, see that you do not worship me. I'm I'm a fellow servant like you." And it's also the only place in the Bible where the Lord's name is called wonderful. So one of my favorite passages in the Bible at Christmas time is Isaiah nine six, when you know, the Lord lists a whole set of names for Jesus and he says his name shall be called Mighty, Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace. So, wonderful. If you search the entire Bible, you will not find anywhere that Jesus is called wonderful, but it's right here in Judges 13, verse 18. This is the only place. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, remember, he's asking his name again, said unto him, why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret well in the Hebrew that word secret means wonderful and so this is where Jesus is called wonderful his name is wonderful and then they have that sacrifice and the fire rains down from heaven Samson has a lot of ups and downs in his life and Judges 16:20 is kind of the pivotal verse to Samson's life and if you remember the whole story leading up to this he he keeps tricking them on how he gets his power, right? Well, if you tie me with a rope that's never been used before on a Tuesday, then I won't be able to break out. And he breaks out every time and kills the Philistines. Well, finally, he tells them the truth. It happens. And it's in Judges 16:20. Remember, the Philistines come and she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. See, that's, that is one of the most disturbing verses you can have in the Bible as a believer, is to, is to realize you have gone so far away from God that you think your anointing will still keep you and you'll be able to do what you did before, but you've gone so far away from Him, you haven't repented and you've gone outside of his coverage, right? You've, you've gotten out of his authority over your life. You're taking things into your own hands. You're doing things on your own, and he ultimately, Samson ultimately repents, and you remember at the end, the, the Philistines take his eyes out, and he's brought out and mocked on this trial, and he asks the young man, please put my hands on the pillars, and he pushes down those pillars, and the, the whole building collapses he takes out God's enemies more in that one event than he did his entire life added up before. And so he ultimately repents and God uses him, but it's amazing how he thought the Lord was still with him and he could just do whatever he wanted to do. He could live in sin, but yet still have the power of God and you just can't do that. You've got to stay in a posture of repentance and worship to the Lord. Okay, the next guy, Jephthah. One of my favorite guys in the Bible, Jephthah, if you tell your kids all to, uh, tonight about Jephthah, maybe they're talking about him at Breakthrough here in a few hours, I don't know, but Jephthah starts to rise in Judges 10 at the height of some rebellion, and it's in Judges 10 verse 6, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, these are the gods of the Syrians and uh, uh, the pagan heathen gods that surrounded Israel the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not him. So as a result, the Ammonites encamp against Israel to take them over. And it's in Judges 10 verse 14, go and cry unto the gods. What I love is, is they encamp around Israel. The Israelites are crying out to God for help. And the Lord, because they have not been repentant of worshiping these pagan, heathen idols, the Lord says, hey, in Judges 10, verse 14, go cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. You know, I mean, you can hear the rhetoric and the sarcasm from God. You know, what do you want of me all of a sudden? You've, you haven't wanted anything to do with me for years and years, and all of a sudden now you're in trouble And you've been worshiping these other gods. Let them help you out. But finally, the Israelites repent, which is what God's ultimately looking for. They cry out to God. He forgives yet again and raises up Jephthah in Judges 11. And Jephthah was the ninth judge who judged Israel for six years. He's in Judges 10 through 12. And he even dedicated, remember the story, he's the one that if he won the war, that when he got back to his tent, The first person or thing that walked through the tent door, he would dedicate to the Lord. He would sacrifice to the Lord, it says in Judges. And and it's his daughter that walks through the first time. And that word, remember she's weeping and he's weeping. He doesn't kill her. It doesn't mean sacrifice as in that. It's that she took a vow to serve the Lord then in the temple for the rest of her life. She She was dedicated to the Lord. And she knew what that meant, but he kept his oath. Uh, He fulfilled his vow to God in that moment. Okay, go to the next slide, Aaron. Okay, David. Uh, Many of you know David, right? One of the most incredible men of God. His name in Hebrew means beloved. He shows up only second to Jesus in the entire Bible in terms of, of name. How many times his name shows up. I think if you look it up in the King James, he shows up around 1,100 times in the Bible, which is incredible. But despite his failures, God declares that he was a man after his own heart constantly. Now, notice how God speaks that he found David. Okay, I want you to see this in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now he's speaking to Saul. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And in Psalms 89 verse 20, I have found David my servant with my holy oil have I anointed him. So notice that the Lord, think of that verse, the Lord's eyes search to and fro the earth seeking whom will have faith in the earth, right? Acts 13 verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So he found David. David was a man whose heart was chasing after the Lord. And remember, every time David does something bad, he falls to his face to the Lord in repentance. That's that's why he's a man after God's own heart. He it's not that David was perfect. The the key to get that acclamation from God is that not that you're perfect, but you have a drive and a desire to perfection that you want to run to it. If you you and I are all going to mess up in our lives continually. But the key is if you are when you mess up and you falter If you are running to the Lord and to his feet, you are a man or a woman after God's own heart. That's the key. So you want to be, you want to drive to perfection. David even built, let's talk about one of the most obscure things in the entire Bible, the tabernacle of David. So David even built a tabernacle for the Lord. And we know very little about it, except that it will be raised up again in the last days. So this is all a prophecy from Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. Now, when you read that in Amos, you almost miss it completely in the Old Testament, but he calls it the tabernacle of David. And it's confirmed again in Acts 15, it's a prophecy. They, the, after, the, after Jesus died, he was resurrected, he ascended to heaven. The church is formed before the, all the re- religious zealots in Jerusalem. Uh, they declare this prophecy again. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. See, they're, they're declaring right now God visited the Gentiles. Jesus did that. He went to Samaria and the ends of the earth. The gospel has gone to the ends of the world. You and I are a benefit of this prophecy, that he's calling out a people from the Gentiles for his name. That doesn't mean that Jewish people can't be saved. They absolutely can. And if if a Jewish person is saved today, they are a part of the church age. But it just means that Jesus came The Jews rejected him, so he opened up the kingdom to the entire world, to the Gentiles. Okay, God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, so after what? After he calls a people out for his name, the church. I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. So he's going to raise again the tabernacle of David so that the entire earth will seek after Jesus. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now, it's different in case you're wondering, because I had this question some years ago. It is different than the tabernacle Moses built in the wilderness. And you know that from 1 Chronicles 21, verses 28 through 30. At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness and the altar of the burnt offering were at that season in the high place of Gibeon. Now, when you read that, you may wonder, why is the tabernacle of Moses in the high place of Gibeon? The high places throughout the Old Testament are where they would go and sacrifice to fallen angels, demons, demonic, heathen gods. They were the high places, the groves. You hear about that a lot. They were in the mountains surrounding Israel, and that's one of the reasons why God didn't want steps leading up to his altar, because he didn't want to emulate the high places. But Samson, of course, built steps going up to it. And they were not supposed to do that. So the altar that we're offering were at that season in the high places. But David could not go before to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Now when you dig into that, there was an angel standing there with a sword drawn that David could not go to that tabernacle of Moses. So he built his own and sacrificed there. And the tabernacle of David shows up two other times in the Bible, in 2 Samuel 6, verse 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle of David, that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And then Isaiah sixteen five, one of my favorite prophecies in the Bible because it's when Jesus comes back to rule and reign. And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hastening righteousness. So Jesus is going to sit in the tabernacle of David in the millennium on the throne of David as promised to Mary in Luke. And so we know that these are just food for thought here. But is the tabernacle of David the holy of holies that the Antichrist desecrates? It's just a question. I don't know the answer to that, but it's a, it's a thought. We don't know much about the tabern- tabernacle of David other than it will be raised up by God again in the last days, and it will be the millennium temple that Jesus sits in. Now, the, those dimensions are given in, at the end of Ezekiel. The, they're dimensions to a temple that's never stood. So I don't know if those dimensions are for the tabernacle of David or for a separate temple that the Jews are trying to build right now that the Antichrist will desecrate, and then maybe Jesus wipes that out and builds the Tabernacle of David. The Bible doesn't differentiate that, but we know it has to be standing from Daniel 9, because it's the abomination of desolation as, as the Antichrist goes into the Holy of Holies and declares himself to be God. That's what Jesus references in Matthew 24, and it's from that point on that he says it will be great tribulation. That's where we get that phrase, great tribulation. It's also in 2 Thessalonians 2 and in Revelation 11 verse 1 where they were given a reed and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God. And so he measures it with a reed. So we know the temple has, that a holy of holies, I should say, has to be standing in the last days. And so whether it's the tabernacle of David or the temple that the Jews are trying to build right now, not quite sure, but the key is to keep watching for it because the closer we get to it, the more clear, clarity you and I will have on it. So Samuel, Samuel, the, the last person in this verse here, Samuel was an incredible prophet who's, who is directed to anoint Israel's first king, Saul. Remember Samuel's parents couldn't have children And finally, they're blessed with one, and the the Lord calls her, the mom, to dedicate Samuel to the Lord. And she leaves him at the temple for service his entire life. He also later anoints the the true king God had in mind all along, which was David. And after Samuel dies, Saul outlaws uh, necromancy and witchcraft and talking to a medium and seeking to speak to the dead. Saul's outlawed this. And it's kind of funny because then he outlaws it, but then he goes to do it. And this is all in in, in 1 Samuel 28. But remember, Samuel dies. Saul wants to hear from him. He's not hearing from the Lord at all. And so he goes to the witch at Endor and says, hey, I'm not hearing from God. Would you please do the seance for me and summon Samuel back so I can talk to him? And this is one of the reasons... God absolutely abhors witchcraft, necromancy, trying to speak to the dead. Ouija boards in modern day is all tied into this. Uh, it all ultimately leads to demonic possession or uh, oppression. And when you hear people talk about, yeah, it was great last night. My, my grandma, who's been dead for 25 years, you know, came and talked to me in my bedroom or whatever, just you need to encourage them rebuke first and then uh, ask questions later but rebuke 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 that is not those are lying spirits the lord calls them in the old testament a lot familiar spirits because demons and these demonic spirits have been around way longer than you and I they know what your grandparents did they know what your great grandparents did they know what your family members and your ancestors in the past did they use that against people to trick them to say basically to fall into it. So just be aware of that. But Samuel, Samuel gets called back in 1 Samuel 28, verses 15 through 18. Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And remember, the witch at Endor starts freaking out. She's going, whoa, what just happened? Samuel's actually here. And she starts losing it. And Saul sa- answered, I am sore distressed. Now he's acting like this is a normal thing. You know, Saul's not sitting there going, whoa, it worked. He's, he's like totally cool, calm, and collected. Hey, I'm distressed because the Philistines are trying to kill me. Can you help me out here? And God's departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I've called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. So see, Saul went down the wrong road of seeking witchcraft and necromancy for an answer Instead of going to the Lord, if he just would have gone to the Lord directly, this would have never been an issue. Now you need to be aware of this. Uh, Chad's not here this morning, but he brought this to my attention about a year ago. He found and there's an app actually out there that you can that kids are downloading to try to speak to the dead, and it's it's satanic. So just be aware that this stuff is out there. It's not new. They're just trying to find new ways to get kids entrapped in it. But the Lord basically tells Saul, hey, you're going to be with, Samuel tells him, you're going to be with me in the next morning, so just prepare your house in order, because God's taking you out. So Samuel was an amazing guy, though, amazing prophet. There's two books, First and Second Samuel, in our Bible that, that kind of focus on his life and the first king of Saul and, and then David, but he was tied into all of that. Okay, verses 33 here, who through faith subdued kingdoms... "...wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in in fight," excuse me, "...turned to fight the armies of the aliens." Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So the Lord takes these two verses and describes three groups of three attributes. Okay, the first one are victories for the nation of Israel— they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, and obtained promises. That's like Joshua, the judges, David, Samuel, etc. The second one personal triumphs of deliverance. They stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel did that. Samson did that. Benaniah and David did that. They quenched the violence of fire. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did that. You may know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the Babylonian names that Nebuchadnezzar renamed them, but it's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are their Jewish names, Daniel's buddies that were in the fire. They escaped the edge of the sword like Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jephthah, David, etc. tons of them. So there's national victories, personal triumphs, and then building one's faith through deliverance. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight and turned to flight the armies of the aliens, like Joshua, Gideon, Samson, David, whole host of people throughout the Bible. So God has these three groups of three attributes. Okay, in verse 35, women received their dead to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. So it's amazing throughout the Bible How many resurrection miracles are on behalf of women? And it's incredible. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Elijah did that for the widow in 1 Kings 17. Elisha did that, raised the son of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4. Jesus raised the son of the widow from Nain in Luke 7. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha and raised by Jesus in John 11. Remember, they were all in a panic. He's been dead four days. What are you doing? Why are you taking so long? And, and Jesus just calmly, hey, it's okay. You know, he's not dead. He's just sleeping. Hold on a minute. And, and I love the, the, the passage where Jesus calls him by name out of the grave and Lazarus, come forth. And it's amazing. He comes out in these, these bandages and he's all wrapped up. And then from then on, the Sanhedrin and the religious zealots in Israel wanted to kill him, right? Because he was dangerous. He had a testimony at that point. I was dead, and this man called my name, and I walked out of the grave. And he's, he's dangerous at that point, so they try to kill him. But it's just incredible that he calls him out. So while these people were raised to natural life again, they all died again later, though. Others were willing to endure, endure torture and would not deny the Lord for an earthly deliverance and inheritance. So think of all the people. Jesus even mentions one of them in Revelation in 2 and 3, the seven letters to seven churches of Artemis. He was a, a man that was, that was murdered. He was martyred. Uh, if you, I remember in high school I had a book written by, remember, I think it's written by DC Talk maybe or one of the authors, but the, the Voice of the Martyrs, that book where it tells all these stories around the world, so if you've, never, if you've never read that or looked into that, it's very encouraging because what, what people go through around the world on, the, on behalf of the name of Jesus is incredible. I mean, they willingly take bullets to the head. You know, they willingly leave their children and all not to deny the name of the Lord because they looked to be resurrected unto a better heavenly inheritance so they wouldn't deny. They would not, in the midst of torture from the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians, whomever, it could have all just ended if they just would have said, you're right, I'm not serving the Lord anymore. When Rome ruled the world, they had to dedicate incense to Caesar and declare that Caesar was God. So they'd have to go to this altar, take a pinch of incense and throw it in the fire. And that's, they had to do that every year. And there were Christians by the thousands that denied Doing that, that refuse to do that, because if Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And they would stand strong despite being chased, being murdered, being exiled, their businesses taken, whatever it is. So just keep in mind, too, that what you and I experience where we live and in the world that we live, in the time in which we live here in this great state that is God fearing. It, is, it pales in comparison to what these people all around the world face, and you and I daily should be praising God for it, because he's giving us an opportunity to stand up, to study his word, to teach his word, and to encourage others around us in the faith without being, being hunted and, and slaughtered. Okay, in verse 36 here, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. So Jeremiah endured cruel mockings and scourgings. Remember, uh, he and Ezekiel both had a similar ministry in that, hey, you have a prophecy, go tell us, the, they're not gonna listen to anything you say, just in advance, just know that. So you're gonna have a word from God, you're gonna give it to God's people, and the Lord tells them, just know that when you go and give this, nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> it's real encouraging, right, to have that, that mission, but they did it. Uh, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. Remember, the cupbearer forgets about him years in the prison, but yet he never forsook and blasphemed God. He stayed strong, and he was raised from that place to be the most powerful, the second most powerful man on planet Earth. Amazing. He remained so faithful. So just think about it as a challenge question. You know, how would you stay strong? Would you be able to take imprisonment for years and stay strong? I'm thinking about Mark Hauk. Uh, Hauk, I think is how you say his last name, but that, that man that's imprisoned right now in the United States simply for praying outside of an abortion clinic last October. He's imprisoned uh, because he and his son went to pray at an abortion clinic last year. It's been a little over a year now. And um, somebody came up and started railing accusations and all kinds of nasty things at his son, and, and he stepped in to get in between them, and charges were brought against him in Pennsylvania. They were dropped by a district judge in Pennsylvania because it was ridiculous, obviously, but the FBI then took the case over, the, the DOJ, and came and arrested him just recently, uh, and he's facing possibly 11 years in prison. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. I'm kind of my weeks kind of blurring together right now, but uh, we prayed here for Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht. If you don't know who they are, uh, they are the the people, the Christians behind the film uh, 2000 Mules. But they they simply put themselves out there to stand up for truth and say, "Hey, what we're seeing is not right, and it's not it's not how the Lord the Lord would have us act." Right from the Bible. And an, a scale, improper weights of a balance are an abomination to the Lord. That's what he declares. And so that's how the Lord views that. But they stood up and they were imprisoned for it. And the Lord, you know, as a church, we all prayed for them to, to be set free. And they were set free that evening. You know, praise God. But that's the power of corporate prayer when we all get together. But that's the question. I mean, you're seeing more of this in our own country today. And so don't be, again, just do not take it for granted that where we live, we, we don't have that happening yet. And that doesn't mean that it won't at some point in our lives or maybe the lives of our children or beyond. But just keep in mind, we have to continue to pray that our land is blessed with righteous leaders, godly men and women that fear God with a holy fear, as my wife is talking about today, at the conference, but a holy fear and that they are submitted to him. Okay, Zechariah and Stephen were stoned. So let's read verse 37 here. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder and tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Zechariah and Stephen were stoned. Stephen gives one of the greatest testimonies and and kind of uh, commentaries, if you want to say it, but it is all the word of God. Of the Old Testament, you learn a lot from Stephen's testimony that you don't learn in the Old Testament. Isaiah may have been sawn asunder by Manasseh with a wooden, sword, a wooden saw. So this is not in the Bible, except it's referenced here. Some were sawn or slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. See, some ancient Jewish writings talk about how Manasseh probably sawed Isaiah in half with a wooden saw because he was a prophet speaking out against what, the evil that was going on. Joseph was tempted. Remember, he had a possibility of, of having the throne early. Uriah was slain by the sword. Elijah wandered at animal skins. The prophets were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Now, all these people, they lived out John sixteen thirty three. You might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Don't lose sight of that verse. Okay, in verse 38 here. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. See, the world was not worthy of them and the world's not worthy of you either. And part of my challenge to all of you is, so why do you give it your heart and affection? The world's not worthy of you. Give your heart and affection to the only one who is worthy of it. It's Jesus. He's the only one that's worthy of it. They roamed in deserts in the wilderness like Moses. They slept on rocks like Jacob. They hid themselves in caves like David and Elijah And all of these people forsook the world to follow the Lord. They left everything. Okay, the last two verses here. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided something, provided some better thing for us, that they without us should be made perfect. Now that last verse is a little confusing when you first read it. So sit tight just a second but we also need to obtain a good report through faith. See, God, God is saying in this last verse, because we have been also promised something better, they cannot reach full perfection on earth in the messianic kingdom without us. Okay, so read that verse again. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. So all of these people that, w- that got, the Lord went through from the beginning of the Bible in chapter 11, they can't be made perfect yet until we are with them to be made perfect. It's not saying that, that, it's not saying they need us to make them perfect. God's going to make them perfect, but he just can't do it until we too are made perfect. I hope that makes sense. I hope I'm explaining it well, but that's, that's what he's saying. And it's from Hebrews 12, 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So a better promise has been prepared for us. That's the key. The messianic kingdom has been promised to you just like it's been promised to all of them. But the better promise we have is that we also have the inheritance in heaven as the church, as the bride of Christ. Hebrews six twelve, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Okay, so to wrap up, that closes chapter 11. Couple things. You, know, you and I, we've got to take serious our relationship with God. And if there are strongholds in your life that are not completely torn down, then they will, they will come back to bite you at some point. Uh, you can't leave things unsurrendered to Jesus. And that's what happened. Remember when you studied Joshua and Judges, the three areas that they did not follow the Lord's commandments were the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and the Golan Heights. It's the same three areas that are in the Israeli news almost weekly today still, because they didn't take care of it. They didn't do what God told them to do. And my question for all of you is, what stronghold in your life do you need to completely surrender to God? You know, if, you've, if you're stressing about something, if you have anxiety about something, if you are giving yourself over to something and giving your affection to anything other than Jesus, that's why he's a jealous king. He's jealous for your affection, for you and I. And so we've got to be in full surrender to him. And it's not, again, it's not about perfection. It's about a heart and a willingness to drive toward it. Because the more you try to hold on to something, you, you will falter at some point in your life. You will. You will try to run a race that you're not fit to run. And you need Jesus to be in that race with you. So allow him into every area of your life. Now, why is that? Because you can't stand against our enemies because we are all in a spiritual warfare. Remember Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So no matter what you see out there, that's not who we're wrestling against. It's the powers behind them, the principalities, the powers, the wickedness, the rulers in high places. Those are all ranks of angels. That's who we're fighting. Your war is not against flesh and blood. And you can't stand against them in a spiritual warfare with something accursed in your life. And that's all in Joshua 7. Remember, they, they decided that they had this accursed thing that they wanted to hold on to, and they, they faltered in war. And as a result, some of them wanted their inheritance east of the Jordan. They didn't press on to the other side of the Jordan to inherit where God wanted them. And so you and I have got to keep pressing on across the Jordan to an area where Jesus leads our, our wars for us. And so give it all to him. And if, you're, if you are looking at the headlines and if you're looking at what's going on out there, you should recognize prophetically that we are in, an, in a time of which every single person before us in the Bible wanted to see. They wanted to see when would, when would this final kingdom this final Antichrist kingdom rise on the earth and Jesus would come and strike it and set up the Messianic kingdom. They wanted all to see that. That's why they all roamed around thinking the, the rapture was any, any second and that the Antichrist was there. They thought maybe he was Herod. Then they thought he was someone else in 70 AD with Titus and then beyond. But they were expectant. They were watching. That's the key. And so we all need to watch in what Jesus told Told us in Mark 13, and what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. We've got to be watching so that we're not taken off guard. So if you're here or if you're watching this online and you're not born again of the Spirit, remember what the Lord said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born, of the, born again, born of the Spirit, and then you will forever be a child of the King and have a place in heaven with Him. It's Romans 10:9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead; you shall be saved. It is that simple, and you cannot add anything to it or take anything away from it. And praise God, you can't, because if it was up to you and I to hold on to it after we were saved, we would all lose it. <laughs> none of us would, none of us would make it. So praise God, it's not up to us. But what is up to you is what you do with it afterwards. That's what's up. To, what is on, in your control. And so submit yourself to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for Hebrews 11. God, I thank you for this incredible chapter that you broke down for us verse by verse. And God, we pray that you would be with us as we dive into chapter 12 next week and that Lord, you would gird us up for strength to go out into this world and to fight and to stand strong on your word and to not back down from your promises, God. We love you and we praise your name and we thank you for the opportunity to gather together around your word in this day and age. Lord, we know it is rare again and we are giving you praise for it. And we love you, be with us out of as we leave this place and be with the conference today. And once again, Lord, speak through everyone that gets on stage. Fill that place with your Holy Spirit, and let lives be set free from fear, anxiety, and stress, and bondage, and watch over all of those people in that room today. Be with them, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.